I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? I've never done it. Welcome to Pit Pass Moto, the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. I'm Dave Sulecki. I'm PJ Doran. And this week we have Curtis Leverton as our guest. Moto America, the home of the AMA Superbike Championship, featuring 190 mile an hour superbikes, is the official sponsor of Pit Pass Moto. This year, Moto America is going to have 10 rounds of the best racing on two wheels in North America, as I mentioned, featuring super bikes. All 20 Hono Superbike races are going to air live. That's right, live on Fox Sports. Moto America Rewind and Inside Moto America also airing on Fox Sports. Super Sport races are going to air live on MAV TV. Don't miss a minute of the action. You can catch everything like I do on Moto America Live Plus streaming. Get out there, get yourself a subscription, and don't miss a minute of the action all weekend long. What else do we have going on this year with Moto America, Dave? For 2021, they're bringing back King of the Baggers for a five-round series. It was a huge success last year in 2020 with millions of video views, social impressions, and news stories. It was unbelievable. V-Twin Racing exciting wire-to-wire. Go to MotoAmerica.com for more info on which events will feature King of the Baggers. I'm so looking forward to that. And for all of your tickets and info needs, go to MotoAmerica.com. As Dave said, right now you can get up to 20% off select tickets and events using the code EARLYBIRD. That is code EARLYBIRD for a 20% discount. That's huge. Go to MotoAmerica.com slash tickets. That's valid through January 31st of this year, 2021. So get on that as soon as you're able and get your tickets. Now the latest news in the industry. We had some racing this past weekend. The AMA Kicker Arena Cross Series kicked off in Starkville, Mississippi. Round one, it was a Kyle Peters all the way in the 450 Pro Class followed by Kyle Bitterman, and then Jared Steinke with third. Round two, which was Saturday night, Kyle Peters wins again. So he did the double on his Honda, followed by Colin Park on his Honda, and then Michael Lessie, who's come back to racing, is riding a Kawasaki, took third overall on round two. So exciting racing. If you get a chance, check out Kicker Arena Cross. It's bar-to-bar racing and a lot of banging going on, PJ. Yep, that's awesome. Other things that happened in the news. First of all, congratulations to Mr. Daytona Scott Russell for his nuptials on December 31st of last year. Congratulations, Scott. Best of luck to you in your uh, newly wedded status. 
More sad news in the news, though, was Ducati. Ducati North America offices outside of San Francisco raided by the FBI as it happens on December 17th. We're just finding out about this. Apparently, 30-plus agents raided Ducati of North America. We're waiting on further details, the nature of that raid, the purpose of that raid, not fully clear. The FBI has confirmed, though, that the raid was conducted in accordance with uh, court orders. So I'm sure we'll get some more information <laughs> regarding what unfortunately has happened at Ducati of North America. Hopefully it doesn't impact any of you Ducati owners or your ability to buy parts, bikes, or service at any of your dealers. Further in the news, Jason Aguilar will be riding for the Riders Law Aguilar Racing Team. Congratulations, Jason. This week's Pit Pass trivia question is, what rider has the most Supercross wins ever? How many and what brand motorcycles did he ride over the course of those wins? More on that later on in the show. Coming up as our guest today on Pit Pass Moto, uh, you've probably, if you've done anything in power sports in this industry, worked on a vehicle, you've been affected by his products, the man behind many, many brands, Curtis Leverton. Kurt, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. So many brands on that list. You could probably list them all. I was going to do that, but I'd rather you do it just because there, I might miss one or two. <laughs> I don't even know if I remember them all. That was actually part of our strategy was that we didn't want to mix up product lines with different uh, different brand names to confuse people. So as we produced different brands, we just gave different names to it. So anyway, but there was, let's see, there was Hot Rods was the first one. Then I believe Pivot Works and then Hot Cams. And then we did Cylinder Works. And then I think we purchased Vertex Piston. And then we did the Fuel Connections. I think we did after that. And I think I might be missing one in there, but that's what I remember for right now. All those brands, Kurt, they still exist in one form or another, right? Even though perhaps your involvement in them has changed. Yes, it would be five years ago next month. We were purchased by the Arrowhead Group, which also purchased All Balls. And they were creating a platform and we were bought out. And I believe they're all, all those brands, uh, well, I know they're still all existing to this day. So, Kurt, you've got the magic touch. I always wonder, there's so many ways to build a brand, and, and uh, you've just found that way to identify a niche. How do you do that? What is the secret sauce to just hitting the right mark like you did so many times? Well, I think, uh, I think you have to be a dirt bike rider. I think that's a really important element. If you're going to sell to somebody, you need to know what their tastes are, what they like. I used to always tell the story about restaurants. A restaurant has a recipe that someone knows how to make a certain type of food that attracts people, and you have to know your audience. And I think that's part of the reason why CNL was successful was, uh, you know, I was a dirt bike rider, and then I hired a great staff of people that were also dirt bike riders. And so it was pretty easy for us to develop products that we knew was needed in the marketplace. And it seems like a lot of 
brands in that industry in the in the in the power sports industry a lot of people say it's not mature because a lot of the people start with passion first but it's really what drives that industry and i think <laughs> you you hit on that one thing you know you think like a customer because you are a customer which leads you to i i, I know what i need so i know other people need it so let's make that a, a product and uh, and get it out to market absolutely well i live the lifestyle i am a dirt bike rider i've been a dirt bike rider since i was a little kid so I, I know the way that dirt bike mine works, and it just made it easier for us. It's, it's real fascinating, too, what you just said, because a lot of people from outside the industry come into the trade shows, and, and they see all of us, and they think, wow, this group isn't, uh, you know, they, they don't have a clue what's, how to really run a business. And when in reality, uh, what happens is they typically buy these companies, and then they, they struggle with it afterwards because there's there's an element that they don't understand and that's ultimately the taste of the customer what do these people want that are dirt bike riders i've seen this happen over and over and over and over in the industry people come in they look at us they think we're just don't know what we're doing and it turns out we actually did tell us about how it started um you know you you talked about being a dirt biker how did it start for you uh, when you were young and and your connection to there's a very specific motorcycle brand i know that you're very <laughs> yeah. uh, uh fond yes. of well, it was a Christmas gift in uh, 19, uh, 1977. It was an OSA Pioneer. It was uh, my first dirt bike, and it was a jalopy. It was just a terrible motorcycle, in terrible condition, I should say. But that was my first dirt bike, and that's all I needed to spark the interest. And I just worked on that bike. And, of course, like I always tell anybody that doesn't understand old motorcycles, especially Spanish bikes. If you rode a Spanish bike, you're a professional motorcycle mechanic. It just goes with the territory. And so I spent many years working on bikes. And and the problem with the uh, Spanish bike, uh, the Osa, was the connecting rod. The connecting rod was just just terrible. Uh, you know, they were famous for only lasting 45 minutes in a flat track bike. And that was always the Achilles heel of the Osa brand. And uh, I went to college, I got my engineering degree, and then I went and got my, get an MBA at Drake University. And I met my wife there and uh, we were able to, uh, she was from, from the Orient and we had contacts in the Orient to start looking at manufacturing some of these items for the OSIS. And as soon as we did that, that, it took off extremely well. And then I said, well, why don't we make a Boltaco connecting rod? And I sold every single Boltaco connecting rod in one phone call. And I said to my wife, I think it might be a good idea that we maybe expand out and try getting into the modern bike market. And so we took that little bit of money we had and we made some connecting rods for some Japanese brands. And that's kind of how the business started. And that's an amazing start and somewhat full circle. Is that a fair statement, Kurt, with <laughs> what you're doing kind of now, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I started off in the vintage bike industry, got into the modern bike industry. That started growing you know, pretty significantly. And so I ignored the vintage bike industry because I was so busy with the modern bike industry. And then when I sold my company out to the Arrowhead Group, I had a, an exclusion in there that would allow me to make motorcycle parts for vintage bikes, 1981 and older. That's what I'm doing today for the last two years. Ventco is making pistons, connecting rods, gasket kits to try to get these older bikes up and running. It's interesting what you said, Kurt, with uh, things that have happened in 2020 with COVID, there's been this huge resurgence of vintage motorcycle restorations because people, I think, are stuck inside and I mean, that had to affect your business and your phone lines ringing. 
It's very interesting. Obviously, I have, still have lots of friends in the modern bike industry, and COVID has been the best thing that's ever happened to the motorcycle industry. It's driven the market up around 50 to 70% from what it was a year ago. Our December this year, which is typically one of the worst months of the year, was the best month of the year that we've had so far. COVID's been very strange, but it has certainly sparked a renaissance in the dirt bike industry. I don't think it's done that for the street bike industry. I don't really know. I don't have a lot of friends in in the street bike industry, but from what little I have talked to some dealers, the street bike market hasn't really expanded much, but the dirt bike market has gone crazy. Yeah. As a dealer, working at a dealer, and this is what we were talking about when we met not so long ago, Kurt, was uh-huh. the resurgence in two-wheeled sport working in a dealer i think i'm i'm the one who sees it first we're seeing a definite resurgence in street bikes as well i Good. think it's smaller than dirt bikes cuz it's not something you can so readily do as a family and i think that's been the driving element of a lot of this year's power sports gains have been very family oriented which is heartening really for everyone involved Uh, the first things that we sold out and you would find this uniformly across the country is youth sized anything from gear to bikes you name it the youth market was the first thing we sold out of then it was other things that again can be used as a family so uh, i think that street bikes are picking up but there's less of a family component so directly as there is an off-road stuff yep i think you're spot on and it's it, i mean it's just great news for everyone in the industry not the least of whom is you i mean is your is vintco taking off in the direction uh, that you thought it would it's a little more difficult for me to actually look at numbers and come back and say, okay, I can tell you that we're this much better at this time because it's a growing business because it's so new. But uh, we had a, 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 the traditional, in the regular, what I call the modern dirt bike industry, the month of December is typically one of the worst months that you can have. And we had the all-time best December at Vintco. So uh, it's it's a strange market. It seems to be growing quickly and just as you said a lot of people are at home and they're just like well i might as well work i'm getting ready to start restoring a motorcycle right now that's i got nothing to do (laughs) a lot of people are just like me there's going to be uh got to have something to do over the winter time and you might as well work on a dirt bike yeah and that vintage market just hits all the the right numbers for you know a lot of us Mm -hmm. uh Motorcycle uh, racers of a certain age, let's say, we tend to go back to those bikes we wanted or had when we were younger, you know, teenagers and couldn't get. And now for us, it's pretty easy to get and find. It's the love of trying to restore it back to that original form. I think you're selling a memory to those racers. Yes, and I, but I also think that if people don't hurry up and go out and buy them, they're not going to be able to own them again because the, the market, is the, <laughs> the values are going up so much. No, and I hear what you're saying, and I always have this conversation with friends is, what is the next wave of vintage bikes, right? So it was 30 years ago, then the goalpost moved, and then it was 20 years ago. I mean, is there going to be another shift in the renaissance to the, you know, 1998 when the four-strokes came in? Is that that now going to be the vintage era? I got to wonder. Yeah, absolutely, I think. I mean, you know, let's get real. Guys that, that rode dirt bikes in the 70s, you know, they're in their middle 50s. Some of them are in their 60s. And, you know, I love Osa Phantoms, but four inches of suspension travel gets a little hard on my bones. So I think that you're going to see the next group is going to be bikes from the 80s 
is clearly going to be the next renaissance. And there's a lot of guys, you know, like I noticed for myself, you know, I'm not interested in motocross bikes from the 60s. I have no interest in them or very little interest in them. That's because I didn't grow up wanting those bikes. And so to me, that was in the past. Well, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to look at bikes from the 70s the same way and say, yeah, I, you know, they're, they're okay, but I'm not interested. And I grew up in the 80s. So that's what I think is one of the great things about Ventco or this whole concept is it's always relevant. If you, let's say, for example, that you uh, are into uh, Osas or Hadakas, and that's that's your particular group of uh, that you want to focus on. Great product, but you're stuck in an era that will never keep following to the next decade. I mean, pretty soon, everybody that was into Osas and Boltacos and Hadakas are going to be to the point where they can't ride them anymore. And that whole market is probably going to swing down a little bit. Whereas with the way that Ventco is handling things, you know, when it comes to the 80s are relevant, we'll be there for the 80s. When the 90s are relevant, we bo- we'll be there for the 90s. Ventco is structured in a way that allows us to progress with what the market moves to. That's great planning. You're going to be able to move with those goalposts over time. I think that phenomena you described is is what's happened to uh, Harley Davidson, for example, where their their core market is aged out. So I think he's, what you just described is that core market aging out and it's moving up. So it's on yeah. to the next wave of bikes, whatever that may be. And thank God it's the 80s bikes because they finally had suspension <laughs> and reliability that uh, we didn't have to chase, right? <laughs> yeah, the exactly. back savers, they're actually usable motorcycles. Uh, I mean, you could. I mean, a fast guy on an 87 CR 500 is still going to embarrass a guy who doesn't know how to ride a modern 450. I mean, quite honestly. Have you ever thought about the progression from 1975 to 1981 or 82? I mean, you're going from, you know, four inches of travel to 12 inches of travel with a linkage and water cooled and a disc brake in the rear. I mean, it's in or in the front. It's incredible how much what a revolution there was in motorcycles during that short time span. You know, I couldn't agree more. I, I think that was that era of motorcycles where they went from, you know, the the bikes were generally trail bikes that people converted for motocross or off-road or whatever. In the street bikes, there was one kind of street bike and you converted it for sport riding or touring riding. It was the 1980s when the bikes became very specific application. You had competition motorcycles developed and you had touring bikes developed, you had sport bikes developed. So it was that evolution, I think, to very, very specific niche applications that happened in the 1980s, which that was the era, that's my era. That's when I grew up racing, and and that's when I kind of, that's my proclivity is to go back to the 1980s motorcycles. There was a lot of technological advancements, and it wasn't just dirt bikes. Uh, It was street bikes. They were going hand in hand, it seemed. Uh, The suspension technology was really really driving it in my uh, recollection. Uh, You had single shock suspension happening in road racing at the very same moment that it was Yamaha was introduced in the YZ125 with the mono. And Yes. And you think about uh, one of the problems I think the modern bike industry is facing is, and there's nothing anybody can really do about, there just really hasn't been any great technological leaps for quite a few years. And so, a person looks at a modern bike and says, well, what's the difference between that and buying uh, something that's three or four year or five years older? 
I think that's one of the problems that was occurring with dirt bikes. Now this COVID thing has kicked in. It's, it's just raised all the manufacturers to another level. But that was definitely a problem that the industry was facing. There's not been a significant reason for someone to go out and buy a modern dirt bike. Yeah, good point. I think they kind of plateaued over the last five to seven years, and they're all kind of pretty much the same, and the performance is essentially the same. But what's your opinion on uh, EV bikes? I mean, that's we've talked about it on this show on an occasion and just kind of wonder what your thoughts are. Is that the future? Or is that just a fad? Or is that just not applicable? I mean, what, what's your opinion there? Well, so I have an EV trials bike. I bought one of the uh, electric motion bikes. And, you know, I, I like it. There's little odds and ends about it that uh, I don't want to get into all the subtleties of that bike. But I think the problem that you have is going to be limited battery life at the end of the day. I mean, a trials bike is the best application for electric for ev because because it doesn't take a lot of horsepower when you start getting into motocross or off-road riding where it takes a fair amount of horsepower and you have to have a battery with a lot of stamina you know unfortunately that's where the bikes kind of fall short i just don't see at this time where you're going to get people to get on an ev bike now they may solve this problem someday and i do like I got to say, I like plugging in my bike and just charging it. I enjoy that. Interestingly enough, I bought an electric mountain bike this year because I'm 50, I'm going to be 57 here in a couple of weeks. And I'm sorry. I deserve to own an electric mountain bike. And, and I tell you what, I love it. It is just, I never realized how good it was because it, it's, it's made me, it's, it's got me into riding mountain bikes more because even if I'm not feeling like it that day, Hey, I, I got a little button. I can turn it up and I can, I can ride a little bit more than I normally, or I can take some of the load off me. Well, I think if electric motorcycles get people into riding dirt bikes, and maybe they can do it in an urban environment without irritating everybody, then I, yeah, more power to them. I, I you know, I certainly don't poo-poo the idea, but I, I think it does have some, some technical problems right now. Curtis, we really, uh, we're, our time is running short, so we have to wrap it up, but we want to thank you very much for coming on the show today. Definitely, everybody check out Ventco. If you're looking for parts and, and uh, components for your vintage motorcycles, outstanding brand with outstanding engineering behind it. Curtis, is there anybody that you want to make a shout out to while, uh, while we have the time? Oh, that's so many people, you know, but I guess when I reflect back on my career, I think if there's anybody that I want to give a shout out to, it's, it's all, the, the, all my ex-staff at CNL. I mean, they were a great group of people to work with. And uh, I was I was so lucky to have that staff to help support and build that company. I mean, there's you know, I uh, one man cannot take all the credit for building up a great organization. It takes a lot of people, and I was surrounded by some really talented, good people at that company. So that'd be who I do the shout out to. Awesome, and uh, I couldn't agree couldn't agree more, Kurt. That's uh, it's uh, these are flagship brands, well known and well established. And thanks for acknowledging the the work behind that, and uh, thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you very much for having me. This week's Pit Pass trivia question was, what rider has the most Supercross wins ever? How many? And what brand motorcycles did he ride over the course of those wins? The answer is, of course, Jeremy McGrath with 72 career wins, for Honda, Yamaha, and Suzuki. That was an impressive career. 
with that many wins, Dave, he did it all, right? Yes, he did. And he uh, actually, uh, a rare uh, unknown thing is he uh, finished his career on KTM. It only lasted about a year before he finally stopped racing and retired. But now he is Kawasaki's brand ambassador. So if you go to their website, you'll see a lot of Jeremy McGrath, which is the brand he actually started on before he went pro. In upcoming Moto News, be sure to tune back in with us in the coming weeks. We're going to have Dale Spangler as a returning guest. We're also going to be posting constantly new blog posts. So get out there and check out our blog. There's some new stuff on there that I think you're going to find interesting. And what else do we have going on, Dave? Coming up this weekend, we've got our opening rounds for AMA FIM Supercross in Houston, Texas at NRG Stadium, January 16th, which is this Saturday then followed again on the 19th and then on the 23rd. So they're doing economy of scale again, having confined events in the same venue. Do catch it on TV. We've also got Kicker Arena Cross in Lubbock, Texas, January 15th, which is Friday, and 16th, which is Saturday. So if you're in Texas this weekend, there are plenty of opportunities to go out and watch some racing. Regarding road racing, we'll have more news for you as the month plays out into next month. We don't want to give you too much on dates that may or may not be retracted, but we're all hopeful we're going to see some great road racing in this year, 2021. Thank you again to Kurt Leverton for joining us today, and thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. And if you have a moment, please rate and review us as well. We really appreciate it. Make sure you're also following us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and visit pitpassmoto.com where you can check out our blog. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thank you to Tommy Boy Halverson, Chris Bishop, producer Leah Longbreak, and audio engineer Eric Colt now. I'm Dave. And I'm PJ. We'll see you next week. And Happy New Year, motorcyclists. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.